psychological in the psych world you know it's generally the the running theory these days seems to be and again correct me if i'm wrong that when you're young you develop a true self or a stable self which is you know assuming you grow up in a healthy family relationship you have this underlying feeling of it's okay you know even if times are stressful you'll be okay even if there's periods where you're sad it's okay you'll get through it you'll live right um a narcissist supposedly never develops that true self all right and with that they end up developing a false self which is this veneer they put up for the world of invincibility right super strength super intelligence super success unflawed you know and with that there's no vulnerability there's no authenticity everything is kind of fake you know what i mean <clears throat> to protect them from the underlying issues that fuel them and the underlying issues that fuel them tend to be guilt shame um fear um inferiority there's one other i forget what it is so it was starting to you know say okay well what are the underlying issues that are fueling this you know what i mean what what explains this drivenness that you have is it a fear thing is it an anxiety thing how do you deal with that how are you mindful about that etc so these last couple months you know i've just been throwing myself into trying to figure out my own therapy the cerebral entertainment podcast, podcast. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you once again to go to buyjack.com slash CEP to pick up all of your CEP network gear, including the new hoodies and coffee mugs, representing all three of the shows on our network, including Crusher Cast, Raised on the Radio, and of course, the CEP. Also, head on over to truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs. And when you check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Now for this episode, Colton Jams get on the line with David Johnston. David is a bodybuilder whose story takes us down a path of extreme fitness, business success, mental illness, investigation, recovery, and the journey is far from over. Be sure to check out David Johnston on the socials and definitely visit Team Warrior Within on Facebook and Instagram to get your daily dose of reality-based inspiration. We had a great time keeping our brains warm with David, and so without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. Absolutely. And with us today on the line, we have Mr. David Johnston of Team Warrior Within. How you doing today, David? I'm doing really good, James. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. We are very pleased to have you on today, taking some time out of your schedule to uh, speak with us. Like uh, Colt mentioned, he's been following you around for quite some time, and I have been more recently, and we're very intrigued by what you're doing out there in the world of bodybuilding, gym-wise, fitness-wise, coaching-wise, and so looking forward to the conversation, man. But if you could... Give our listeners a little insight into who David Johnson is. If you could just give us a little bio, um, we'll go from there. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, I guess as is relevant for this show and this listenership, um, you know, I started getting into personal training and the bodybuilding world really in 2003. Um, you know, just worked in box gyms for several years, 
slowly built my skill sets and with that a reputation. And by the time 2010 had rolled around, I went independent. Um, my name continued to grow. I, I relocated from Chicago, which is where I'm originally from and grew up from Chicago out to the Baltimore area in 2008 with my then wife, Nikki Johnston. We were both personal trainers for a box gym and um, stayed at the box gym through 2010, went independent. My rep continued to grow. My business continued to grow, you know, starting to dabble a little bit with helping people prep for competition. I did my first competition in 2007. So about four years after I first started training, um, I competed naturally for the first couple of years because I, you know, that's what the pros said you're supposed to do, build a foundation. And I said, all right, well, they know what they're talking about. I'm going to heed that advice. So I ended up competing three times naturally in 07, 08. And then um, went independent in 2010 and uh, started training at a gym in Columbia, Maryland called uh, Coliseum Gym, which when I walked into, it was kind of a ghost town, but it ended up being just an amazing opportunity because it was at this perfect pivot point where they're kind of ready to go out of business and um, I had such a client overload. I was like, look, just let me in and do my thing and it'll work. It'll be great. And the owner, Tim Gallagher did that. And sure enough, it was great. It was gangbusters where it just kind of started to slowly explode. And, um, you know, my business got progressively crazier and busier, crazier and busier. Um, when my wife had her daughter in 2009, she stepped down from training for several years. So, it was kind of put on my shoulders just to carry the torch and support us and build the business. And um, eventually, um, you know, I, I continued to compete, compete, excuse me, uh, in 2010, you know, did my first enhanced shows, um, you know, never had great genetics, but was slowly becoming a better bodybuilder and making serious progress. And, you, you know, you know, the story and um, one of the highlights. And then, um, really by like 2013 I, I changed the name of my training company from david johnson training over to team warrior within believe it or not in part just because like i was nervous that my name i always had a little bit of controversy or antagonism with various people in the area and i was afraid of like judges not liking me and stuff like that so i changed it to a neutral name <clears throat> um in, in part you know because other trainer trainees that i was training at this point wanted me to like mentor them and kind of become a part of my business. So I said, all right, well, hmm. let's make it a inclusive name where everyone can train under this umbrella. And uh, it's not just my name on the flagship. So, um, but like my LLC and all that is still David Johnson training. And um, 2013, you know, I was friends with um, Adam McVeigh, who's a, a bodybuilder and a personal trainer who lives in the Chicago area. We had been trainers together at the same box gym in Chicago. So we re retained contact throughout these years. And, uh, you know, I helped him prep for a show in 2013, which he won his class and did very well. And then he got the idea. He wanted to start doing a podcast, a bodybuilding focused podcast. And I think it was 2000, end of 2013. I didn't know anything about it. At first, I kind of scoffed at the idea. He, well, he wanted me to help him um, co-host it. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know anything about it. And I was so busy with my business, which was, was doing well, you know, it was, pretty successful but I was already kind of at a point of overwhelm and I told him no originally and then he said look all you gotta do is show up each week I'll do the rest just show up to record two three hours a week I said all right well that sounds like it could be fun let's try it so I started co-hosting geared up with Adam and um, we always had a third co-host 
couple different people over the years. Chris Genkinger, Dave Smith, Bill Viz was on for a while. Uh, Santiago Aragon, who's an IFBB pro classic competitor, was on for a while. Um, and, you know, that just grew. And I never stayed in the mix of it to really track the reach that it had and stuff like that. I really kind of let Adam just do that because it was his baby and I had my own baby, you know, mm -hmm. and I was just kind of happy, happy to be a part of it. And, but it was never like, a, you know, I probably could have leveraged it to like make money and have endorsements, but I just didn't, I didn't care. I was too busy just training people. But <clears throat> by two, 2014, <clears throat> you know, I started working with Matt Porter, rest in peace, great prep coach from the uh, Washington, Oregon area. Had a really successful season competing in 14. And then, um, you know, I was just prepping more and more and more people. Um, my company was growing through 15, 16. <clears throat> and then uh, 2016, like the stars aligned. All of us decided we were going to compete at the same time. Me, Adam, Dave Smith. It seemed like everybody was all, you know, coming to this nexus that was kind of interesting. But as the years had gone, like I just, my business has gotten kind of out of control and it was just, slowly killing me you know what i mean so um i ended up not completing my competition season that year um which i planned on it being my my final run but i ended up doing one show wasn't a 100 percent conditioning like wasn't where i wanted to be but good enough to win my class and then kind of rode off into the sunset and um you know with that uh i ducked out of geared up for a couple reasons stopped doing that and uh played with my personal training business you know i was doing more online coaching by this point and uh, eventually, mid-2017, my family and I relocated up to Providence, Rhode Island. I continued doing the online coaching thing for a while. Was just struggling for a variety of reasons, not enjoying it. So I kind of ducked out of that for a while. And, um, you know, over the last year and a half, I've continued to coach a small amount, but I've literally done zero advertising, zero networking, no, I mean, nothing in five years, really, since 2016. Mm. So the only clients I've had have been people that just reached out at random, like, hey, I'd like some help. You know, we worked together before and it worked well. Can you help me out? So I'd take them on. But I, I wasn't trying to actively do it as a business anymore. Um, and so just recently, you know, having gone through a variety of mental health issues, kind of crawling out of my cave, um, and just trying to reconnect with people, people that were really important to me in my life. And, you know, mostly through my business, uh, former clients, friends, stuff like that. And that's why I'm back on social media a little bit. Um, you know, just kind of reaching out and seeing what the response is and seeing where it goes. You so, got it. There you go. It's that's the overview. It sounds like that you were a victim of your own success in some ways. You talk about being overwhelmed and how the business was just going out of control. You know, usually with that kind of growth, you know, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for that kind of growth, that kind of expansion. Uh, you want to stay busy because that means you know, something's popping. You're doing well. But being a victim of your own success, uh, like you said, that becomes overwhelming to the point to where you got to let go to some degree. And I was just curious, right. are, are, were you at the time, were you – aware of the stress that was compounding on you or did it just kind of come to fruition at some point and bam like a like a train hitting you out of nowhere no no it was progressive over the years yeah. um you know i had e written emails to my wife going back to 2010 telling her like look i can't do this anymore you know i feel like i'm dying my my and for me personally like um i personally think it's it's somewhat pathological with me uh has to do with certain 
tendencies that I have. Um, some people drink, some people use heroin. I'm kind of naturally geared to be a workaholic mm. and I've been that way, you know, all through Kyle, uh, my entire adult life. Like I, I realized I haven't worked under a 60 hour week since I was 17, you know? Um, so there was, you know, literally years on end where I was working 90, hundred hour weeks. I would sleep every second day. Um, I typically ran on three to four hours sleep and all of this while trying to compete mm. while trying to build my physique That's while crazy. on high amounts you know while on gear and and it wasn't months i mean it was year after year after year after year so with that there were a couple phases in that stretch where i had kind of like depressive crashes um you know the problem is i never reached out for help i never sought professional help um just kind of tried to figure it out and deal with it and regroup and recharge but the problem is it would end up leading back down the same path but even worse you know mm. what i mean and then and then on top of that like i have no formal business training i grew up pretty pretty poor um you know we were definitely the poorest family in our neighborhood always had food on the table but always constant stress about like money and you know paying bills and stuff like that watching my parents fight about it so I think some of it is when I started to have a taste of success, um, you know, financially specifically, you know, there was this mentality of if there's an opportunity, take it, mm. you know, like don't turn down. I, I saw a lot of personal trainers around me where they'd be like, no, I'm booked. You know, I can't fit you in. And I was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's crazy. So I always found ways to just take on whatever was out there. And again, to a, to a bad degree, I viewed it as a virtue. You know what I mean? At the time, but, um, to the point where even going back all the way to 2009, probably like I trained, when I trained clients in person, I trained two people an hour. I never trained one person an hour. I did tandem training. And so I would book myself two people an hour for 10 to 12 hours straight, no breaks. I mean, find time to take a piss would be hard. Then it got to the point where, and I was, you know, six days a week. And then, um, you know, with that, like I couldn't fit more clients in. So I started having people ask for help that I didn't feel needed my in. They'd see me get ready for a show and see the shape I'd get in and be like, wow, you know, I need your help, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, you know how to lift. Like you just need help with your diet and uh, supplements and all that stuff. You need programming. So I started taking on online clients back in like, as far as like 2011, I want to say before it was like a thing yeah right <laughs> before before like social media <laughs> turned everybody into a coach and, <laughs> but again you know i was aware there's dudes out there there's chad nickel there's chris Aceto. by no means am i trying to put myself on that level but there's dudes out there who work with clients at a distance right they get people in shape at a distance so find a way to do that so then i started stacking that on top of the in-person clients i'd be running to the bathroom like answering emails in between sets with my in-person clients and then when you know certain people wanted to mentor under me i was like all right so at our peak i had uh, 21 other trainers that were part of team warrior within and you know trying to feed them leads and, and then doing all of the social media like advertise the actual business side of the business not just serving servicing mm -hmm. the business but running the business yeah so it was a shit show man and um i blame no one but myself because i never had the ability or capacity during all that to like just stop and say okay what's the end game like where are you going with this what where how do you want to live how do you want to feel you know i kind of rode on it as a as a high almost like a manic high mm -hmm. for just years and years and years 
And um, because of that, like when I started finally in 2018 or 19, when I finally reached out for professional help and they were trying to like figure out what was wrong with me, you know, my psychiatrists were leaning towards they thought I was bipolar because I would describe, you know, my, my work ethic and, you know, the hours that I kept and the hours I slept. And they'd be like, how long have you been like this? Cause you know, that's one of the defining features, you know, of bipolar, whether it's bipolar one or bipolar two is like, how long are you manic versus your crashes? Mm-hmm. And I'd tell them, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like, I, I've been like this for decades, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> literally 30 years, you know, my whole life. And they'd be like, well, that's not possible. And I'm like, no, like, the doctors didn't believe how little sleep I ran on and that I flourished and that I was okay physically. And, you know, they thought that I was lying almost. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Nope, <laughs> this is, this is the way it is. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. How much have you dealt with bipolar? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, by the way that you're describing that it's, you had a lot of manic phases, you know, even just, it, it still amazes me how, you were doing all of that and still training, like for competition. It's like the lack yeah. of sleep in in, in in that. That's that's what really they probably why they were really leaning toward bipolar disorder. Now, did they was that an official diagnosis for you? Was that what you carried with you? And did you medicate according to that diagnosis? So the psychiatrist I was working with, you know, we we got to the point where like I definitely was dealing with major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. Like, so let's put that on the table. Sure. I was definitely dealing with some anxiety issues. So let's put that on the table and some sleep issues. So let's put that on the table. Um, but yeah, I think she did give me an official diagnosis of bipolar and they, they put me on um, medication for it, which was Lamo. I forget. I forget the name of it. Okay. And it seemed to help for like a couple of days, but then it didn't help. Mm. And, you know, when I get interested in something, I become kind of obsessive about understanding it, learning it. And, you know, my entire life, um, I've always kind of known there was something wrong with me. You know, um, I came from a somewhat abusive household. Um, I saw patterns with my father and his personality, my brother and his personality, myself. And I, and I started to realize, okay, this is a cyclical thing that you're dealing with. Like you've, you've had a couple of these things in your life where you've kind of crashed and had to regroup and it kind of keeps occurring. So, and this time it's a big deal because the problem was I had doubled down so much for so many years on my efforts to just keep running mm-hmm. that by the time I crashed, I was really dug deep, you know, like yeah. it took a lot, it took a lot to dig out of it. So my obsession during this time um, really became understanding psychology. Um, Like, believe it or not, my my bachelor's degree is in philosophy. I think some people know that. And I got into philosophy when I was like 15 years old in part because I read some books. And it started to give me some answers um, as to why things were as they were. And I've always had that underlying sense of something is wrong with me. I want to figure it out. So I went into philosophy and unfortunately, like I wish I would have gone into psychology because like I probably could have pieced things together decades prior, but it is what it is. So yeah, when I started piecing things together and they gave me the bipolar diagnosis, sure enough, I started reading because I had no, I also at this point, like I had no faith in therapy. Um, so I didn't seek out therapy, but I had some, you know, with my bodybuilding background, I had faith in hard drugs at least. And sure. so I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go to a psychiatrist, at least get medicated, so on and so forth. So I was reading more on brain chemistry and, you know, 
because um, I was having a lot of like weird physical effects as well. Like I was starting to um, display some of the effects that people have after they have like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Like I would go, go to, you know, go to the movies with my daughter and watch a movie and I would just start like trembling during like emotional scenes, having like body body trembling and uncontrollable like weeping you know stuff like that and so i knew there was bigger stuff going on and um i really dove into it head first and once they gave me the bipolar diagnosis i was like all right great like let's run with this and i wasn't uh i didn't have any problems with it or stigma i didn't give a shit like i just wanted answers right but but as i started the meds and as i read more like it became evident to me that this was not correct like this mm-hmm. was not what i was dealing with um so i had to tease it out you know and and watching more youtube rabbit hole videos and stuff like that um led me to learn more about personality disorders mm-hmm. um you know and how it's a more enduring lifelong condition and i got fixated on okay well this is likely what you're dealing with and now let's understand this you know wrap your brain around it narrow it down etc went back to my psychiatrists told her as much and she said okay you know well I'm a psychiatrist and just so you know james you're the expert on this so i don't want to step on your toes feel free to cut me off and give your explanation no, no, you're, I, you're always your own best expert always so all right but as i as i understand it for anyone who's interested in listening with a personality disorder it's basically um as you are younger while you are younger due to how due to your environment due mm-hmm. to your household due to whatever as your brain is in its more developmental phases um you end up developing mechanisms for dealing with the world for interacting with the world you know defense mechanisms adaptations if you will and it kind of ends up having a semi-permanent or permanent effect on your brain development which is why they won't even diagnose somebody with a personality disorder until they're i believe in their 20s or at least through adolescence you know because during adolescence there's so much so much change going on hormonally with somebody and people's personalities will naturally fluctuate throughout these years right but once you get to adulthood you know if you have kind of these recurring themes and patterns that's when they'll be a little more comfortable giving that diagnosis and um essentially i i explain it to people like this um you know if you take a infant and deprive them of certain nutrients right their bones won't develop properly mm-hmm. and even later in life if if you give them proper nutrients and you know exercise and all that it might allow them to get along okay but they'll always be inclined to have that bone problem that right. will be their kind of natural what they fall back towards and a personality disorder is similar at least that seems to be the common thinking these days research-wise that your brain ends up developing in a manner where it has certain maladaptations for dealing with the world and um there's kind of no going back if you will um you're always going to be inclined towards those maladaptations and so when you're dealing with that you know it isn't treated with medication um, it's not like major depressive disorder. You can't just take meds to get out of a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Usually, depending on the one that you're dealing with, it's treated with combination of talk therapy and, you know, learning how to manage it um, so that the maladaptations don't take over and run you. And so you don't keep doing the same shit that's hurtful to yourself. Right. Right. So it's, it's about becoming self-aware and, 
you know, dealing with it. So anyways, when I went to my psychiatrist and told her this was what I was thinking, she looked at me and said, well, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, so I don't diagnose personality disorders because I only deal in hard drugs and these aren't, you know, dealt with with hard drugs. I can still help you with the other stuff that's going on with the depression, with the sleep issues, which were comorbid and which you need to, you know, get a handle on. Mm -hmm. um, but she said, I have no problem accepting that you're right. Like, I think you're right. <laughs> she's like, I can't officially put that label on you. And that's the other thing too, in the psych world, um, it seems they really, most people that I've interacted with don't want to put a diagnosis of a personality disorder unless they really have to, because it's very stigmatized. Um, it's, you know, a lifelong thing. And, you know, a lot of therapists won't work with certain people that have certain personality disorders. Yeah, it's a whole ball of wax. If, if so, I could jump um, in for a second, David, yeah, I'm kind of curious about because you say personality disorders. There are several um, yep. different personality disorders. Um, some come with a more of an unspecified diagnosis. You'll have personality right. disorders unspecified. Awesome octopus mug, by the way. I dig that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my, my daughter gave me that for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sweet. Um the one I'm, I'm more familiar with, and it's, it sounds like kind of what you were alluding to earlier when you were describing. You're very well versed, by the way. That was a and the analogy with the uh, the bones and the nutrients was spot on. Um, the one I'm more familiar with is borderline personality disorder, which is when right. a, a, an adolescent, a child adolescent, doesn't get the validation from their primary caregiver, and therefore they're always right. seeking that validation through different maladaptive ways throughout life. Yep. Um, but then there's also antisocial personality disorder, which is another very common one that ends up being with, you know, just about everyone who ends up going to jail, prison, and they're diagnosed with something, they're going to have antisocial personality disorder. Um, so I was right. just wondering if, if there was something that either you were diagnosed with or you were self-diagnosed um, with um, um, as far as personality disorders go. So at this point, I didn't have an official diagnosis, but I thought I sought out a therapist because mm -hmm. um, I personally, you know, I'd read at least at this time, there was nine personality disorders broken into three clusters, right? A, mm, B, and C. Right. And I seem, I seem to be a very traditional B cluster. Um, the symptoms I was displaying seemed like, um, you know, and there's a lot of comorbidities, a lot of similarities from one personality disorder to the next because we only have certain ways of dealing with the world and sure. interacting with the world. So people tend to, you know, develop defense mechanisms that cross over from one to the next to the next. So it's hard to tease out which one do you best click off for, right? <clears throat> so um, I clicked off a lot of the symptoms for borderline, <clears throat> but reading, I clicked off even more of the symptoms for narcissistic. Interesting. But, but here was the, the, <laughs> the rub. Um, while reading, <laughs> the general consensus everywhere on the internet was that if you have narcissistic personality disorder, you won't know that you have narcissistic personality disorder because right. a narcissist can never admit and know that they're a narcissist, yeah. which is complete bullshit. Um, <laughs> you have to do some dig. There's communities out there <clears throat> like on Reddit and stuff like that. There are self-aware narcissists. Um, it usually takes having a major life collapse to where, because, you know, when you're a narcissist, everything's perfect. You're perfect. There's no flaws, right? When that becomes totally not the case, when everything falls apart, you have this window of opportunity. A uh, moment of like, clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, it, you know, it's called narcissistic collapse. 
where um, you know life's falling apart and you can for the first time see all right maybe something else is going on here hmm. so anyways i sought out a therapist who kind of specialized in borderline personality disorder and started doing my thing with him now during this time you know i was in a, still in a pretty depressive state um i wasn't working like a maniac i'd gotten rid of all my clientele i was just trying to like you know because i i felt for a long time like i was going to die you know once it hit you know, once we moved up to Rhode Island, now we were working from home. So I was isolated and I didn't have the community that I had built and all this stuff. So things, we moved up here in part to try to give me like some relief, thinking it would get me away from this stressful situation. And it just like got so much worse. You know, it, it straight up threw me into a dark hole and accelerated things. And of course, I kept trying to train a hundred clients, kept trying, you know, like it was stupid. So um, anyways, I sought, sought the therapist and, you know, because the literature out there said you can't be a narcissist if you think you're a narcissist i was like okay i'll i'll accept that i guess like i don't want to pretend i know more than all of science you know <laughs> and it's and this seems to be the consensus so i'll run with it and i started getting treated talk therapy wise for borderline personalities or because i clicked off a lot of those as well there's a lot of similarities between borderline and narcissism in terms of how you respond and how you react mm. And because I was at this kind of low point <clears throat> in life, I was kind of displaying more of the borderline ones. But, you know, I think with borderline, there's, what, nine symptoms that they look at. And to be diagnosed, you have to click off like four or five of, five of them, I want to say. Something like that. And Something like that. Mm -hmm. And narcissism is the same thing. There's nine criteria. Mm -hmm. And to be diagnosed, you have to have five of them as enduring enduring you know, tendencies throughout the course of your life. Mm -hmm. So with borderline, I clicked off like five out of the nine. With narcissism, I clicked off like nine out of the nine. <laughs> but I ran with the idea, fine, I don't have narcissism. And as I slowly started to heal from the depression and I was doing some DBT group therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy with mm -hmm. the group and all this, and it was challenging for me because these, the other people in the group definitely were borderline. And I definitely was not <laughs> like, I just, I knew I wasn't. And so I started kind of arguing with my therapist slowly about this. Cause he didn't want to, you know, concede that I had narcissism uh -huh. and I, and I literally went home and one of the, one of the criteria for narcissism is you have like ongoing fantasies of infinite power, wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I went home and I found a notebook that I had had when I was like 12 years old where I had been drawing hypermuscular figures <laughs> and like, I literally had penned out fantasies, you know, from when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I brought it in and I show, I'm like, how about this? Like I was trying <laughs> to make my case, you know, and for the record, like for listeners, being diagnosed with narcissism is about as bad as it gets. You know, it's, it's in the mental health world. It's really stigmatized. Therapists don't want to touch you in part because the consensus is that it can't be treated. It, can't be fixed and because narcissists tend to be very abusive mean shitty people and they you lack know, insight just, right they don't have insight into the fact that they have something going on and so that's very difficult correct. to work with well and the other thing too is that narcissists are what are called egocentric, meaning some people don't like who they are narcissists fucking love who they are right like yeah. they like it mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's great it's great to be who i am so why would i change and someone like that isn't going to get much out of therapy right when, so when you not even when yep, you were uh, trying to prove that you 
were this narcissist like what were you were you doing anything on your own to try to help yourself at all or were you hoping that okay if i can get them to believe that i am then we can then we can you know start rolling on this well so i was still taking you know i was on a certain amount of psych meds um for depression and anxiety and i even went to the point where i went to my psychiatrist because i see her like once a month and it was starting to work and get me out of this hole at first i actually had to like traditional ssris for depression didn't work um, I started to realize, like, I didn't just have a serotonin issue. I had, like, a noradrenaline issue. You know what I mean? Like, mm. there was an actual physical depression just from years of, like, depleting myself. So the only psych drug that really addresses, um, you know, noradrenaline and dopamine is Wellbutrin. And because um, it's an NDRI, a noradrenaline dopamine reuptake inhibitor. Mm-hmm. And I had taken it in college to help quit smoking cigarettes and had a really bad allergic reaction to it. So like, I was like, oh shit, what do I do? So I went to my psych and we said, well, let's try it slowly to trade it up. And it worked. And I could feel like physically I started getting a little better, but I still had major depressive issues. So then we switched over to a traditional SSRI. But I got to the point where my psych after several months where I said, you know, how do you feel? And this might be crazy, but how do you feel about putting me on a real mild antipsychotic just to help me? You know, I don't want to be drooling. I don't want to be, you know, out of my mind, just low. But just to help, is there anything that will just take my edge off? and just help me feel calmer. And she said, no, I think it's a good idea. Let's experiment. So I actually got put on a very low dose of Risperdal. Um, I think typically, you know, for most psychotic cases, that's dosed at like around eight milligrams a day. I started out with a half a milligram once a day Mm. and then, and and it felt good. And that's why I went back to her. I said, can we take it up to a half a milligram twice a day? And then ultimately a half a milligram three times a day, which I would take like every four hours. And what it did was it just kind of took the edge off of a lot of the rumination, racing thoughts, um, anxiety, so that I could start to do some of the work that was necessary to address narcissism in terms of like meditation, in terms of working on mindfulness, you know, the stuff that they usually want you to work on when you're dealing with psychiatrists. But the problem mm-hmm. is if you feel all keyed up, it's very challenging to do that work. So I, I started using the psych drugs kind of as a stepping stone, a gateway mm-hmm. to allow me to do that stuff. Um, but as for, you know, dealing with narcissism, I didn't really know how to deal with it. There isn't a lot of clinical research out there on how to deal with it. There's not many clinicians out there that have written on how to deal with it. I actually sought out, there's a guy named Craig Melkin, who's a real famous author on the subject. Uh, he's in the Boston area, set up an appointment with him, you know, paid ungodly money just to talk to him. And, you know, you only get so much out of like one appointment. At this point, I was looking more for confirmation than anything. And psychiatrists, psychologists, they don't want to pigeonhole you because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that you're this, then Mm -hmm. you're this. But at the same time, I was losing everything. My wife was ready to leave me. I lost my business. My life was falling apart. And it became really important for me to have some sort of understanding of what was going on, some sort of label, if you will, just to make sure that as I kind of regrouped and rebuilt my life, I didn't start going down the same fucking path again. You know, I wanted to know what was up, what is going on that kind of really explains this. So you can, as you redevelop yourself, do it in a healthy way. So I was, you know, so I got to the point with my therapist. He was still trying not to diagnose me, et cetera. He had no problem with me being borderline, but he didn't want to put the narcissist label on me. So I finally at one of the DBT sessions, 
I went in there. <laughs> I was like, all right, you, cause I was all calm and quiet and reflective. And I went in there, you know, bear in mind, I'm in this very post-traumatic depressive kind of state. And he's like, how do you feel? I'm like, you want to know how I feel? I think you're a fucking idiot. I think these people are all fucking losers that can't tie their own shoes. I don't understand for the life of me how anyone lives this way. And I think this is a waste of my fucking time. And I know more about psychology than you do. And uh, yeah, that's how I feel. And he was like, whoa. (laughs) I'm like, so you want to see narcissism? Here we go. Motherfucker. (laughs) So now were these true, were these true, these true thoughts? Like you really thought all that stuff or you were just doing this just to prove a point? That's a good question. There, there were true inclinations, meaning like how I interact with the world. That's how I would tend to think in settings like that. I wouldn't say that I do anymore. Um, you know, at the time, I was really empathetic towards the other people in the group because when you're struggling really bad and you see other people struggling, it opens up your heart. You know, your heart goes out. And bear in mind, at this point, even though I had a lot of psych issues, like, I was still doing okay with money. You know, I had a a nice house in the suburbs. I pulled up to my psychology sessions in a Cadillac Escalade. (laughs) I had a beautiful daughter at home who was healthy. So I had a lot in my life. And you're in this group with other people that might be, like, almost homeless, um, you know, having a hard time, like, nailing down a job. A variety of issues and um so my heart really did go out to them but at the same time you know i think that i've had a lifelong tendency to, to almost like rank people if you will which is a narcissistic thing to do and um you know i knew when i was in there that i had a degree of togetherness that a lot of these other people didn't I knew even with my psychologist, like I had studied the subject enough at this point that I kind of did know more than he did about it. <laughs> like, and that's not, I'm trying not to be arrogant with that. You know, I just became really obsessive with understanding it because it's a very complicated disorder as well. Like, there's layers and it's super weird, layers and layers and layers to it about having a true self and a false self and, you know, the core core emotions that fuel it and run it versus the surface emotions of how it expresses itself. And that's part of the reason no one really knows how to treat it. You know what I mean? Um, Cause it's just very complex, but yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that's how I, those are true thoughts, mm. you know, in the, in the moment. I've worked with one true, what I would consider a true narcissist. And yep. it, I was working with that person in a residential setting So therefore I had a lot of time with this person. It wasn't like you get an hour session and then I'll see you next week. I could only imagine trying to work with someone on that with, within that context, you know, that would be very, very difficult, um, which is why it is so hard to treat. The only thing I could find was um, empathy and patience and just being patient with that person, trying to help them to get along the best way that they could with their mindset and just slowly try to integrate some, some of that empathy within them as well. And just modeling, sure. doing that by example, that was, but once again, that's in a residential setting. So, I mean, it's right. just, it's a lot of work to, to try to oh, yeah. unwind the, the, I guess the symptoms, if you will, of, of that kind of a mindset. Well, and, and so I got to the point, you know, where I was out of the depression, 
everything was fine, but I had given up all my clientele and I wasn't really working at all. So I was pretty much just sitting out around all day, meditating, reading. I knew my divorce was coming up and eventually we were going to lose our house, but I had no idea what I wanted to like do for a living. And I wasn't proactively trying to do anything about it. Um, in part because like for the first time in my life ever, I got this sense of calmness where I just felt kind of calm and it was glorious. Like I just kind of had to ride it out and not worry about anything for a little while. And, um, you know, with that, as therapy progressed, it got to the point where my therapist was eventually like, look, I don't think you need to come in anymore because your life is fine. You know, like you're in charge, you got to handle on your issues and you're not having any problems and I was kind of running out of money so like I was being mindful of I don't want to do this forever if I don't have to um so you know we cut off therapy and um at the same time like bear in mind I had no real stressors during this period so it's easy to not have issues to talk about when there's nothing going on in your life you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so basically I got to a point where it kind of felt like like ego death you know what i mean like i stopped train i kept trying to train and live the bodybuilding lifestyle and even stay on gear after i moved up to rhode island and once i started sinking into the depression i just started like hating it more resenting it more it just got worse and worse try to force myself through it because my whole identity was tied to it my business was tied to it i i knew nothing else and um it just got darker and darker to the point where I was like starting to hope that I would get injured. So I would have an excuse to stop going to the gym. Like, and at that, and I, and I fought that for like a, probably a year. And eventually I was like, you know what, dude, like, this is not good for you. Just fucking stop. You know, like, it'll be okay. It doesn't just stop. And when you feel like doing it again, it'll be there waiting for you. You know what I mean? So with that, like, my, I, I came off all gear. I actually went on like HRT for a while, legit doctor prescribed, mm-hmm. just because I made a charge at trying to be, you know, legitimately like healthy and regulated, you know, putting everything in other people's hands rather than trying to do it myself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of bodybuilders when I talk about like, I'm on HRT, well, it's self, it's self-administered, <laughs> you know, <laughs> HRT, HRT for most bodybuilders means I'm doing one CC a week of tests that I bought on a black market. Right. Yeah. Yes. Sure. So I, I was doing legitimate, like doctor prescribed HRT, watching my levels, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do everything by the books so that I wouldn't let myself run the ship for the first time. And um, anyways, so yeah, once I got to this point where like I was in this calm, reflective state, et cetera, like I stopped doing therapy, didn't know I wanted to deal with my life, um, but everything was okay. And then um, most, you know, end of 2019, I knew I had to get a real job, didn't have a lot of life skills. You know, I spent my whole life as a personal trainer. I didn't feel like I could do that at this point because there was still a lot of like trauma associated with it. And I felt like fraud because I wasn't really living the lifestyle myself. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to try to rebuild what I had because just the idea of it just turned me off. I had sunk so much effort into it for so many years. I was like, dude, I don't want to rebuild shit, you know? So I just got a job doing sales for, um, New England tractor trailer training school, which was signing people up to go to truck driving school and did all right at it, but it was really boring. Like first job I've ever had where I actually like dress up and all that. 
And, you know, it was one of my only real life skills was sales, having been a trainer as long as I was. So they liked me there, um, but I didn't enjoy the gig. So a couple months into it, I started like kind of envying the guys that I was actually signing up to go to truck driving school. Um, I was like, you know, I think I want to do that instead because I come from blue blue collar factory. My dad was a gar- or blue collar household. My dad was a garbage truck driver. I always had blue collar like factory jobs as a furniture mover, stuff like that before I became a, a personal trainer. So I was like, all right, let me get my uh, semi truck license, which I did. I went to truck driving school during spring of 2020, got my license, started driving over the road for a company in like um, June, uh, doing flatbed semi trucks, six weeks of training, three weeks in the classroom, three weeks with an uh, experienced driver, and then you're on your own. And um, I would leave out like, midnight sunday night monday morning and then i would get home at the end of the week either late friday night or early saturday morning have a day and a half with my daughter go out and do it again and at first i enjoyed it a lot um because i'd kind of gotten to this mindset specifically with the narcissism thing of okay well if you have this you're toxic and you should probably just try not to interact with people because you're naturally going to be inclined to hurt people. So just, you know, isolate yourself, live in the truck, do your thing, enjoy your time with your daughter on the weekend and do that till you die and you'll be fine. <laughs> Put yourself in a cage. Yes. You know what I mean? And that, and that was kind of my thinking. Um, I was scared of myself, if that makes sense. Sure. I was scared that I was scared that I was a weapon that could be easily used and misused. Um, so, you know, because over the years, like with my training company and whatnot, I had a really big personality and I was very ragey and, you know, mean to some people, cruel to some people for sure. Definitely cruel to my wife. Um, you know, just uh, I knew that just argumentative more than anything. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to expose other people to that, et cetera. So I did the trucking thing and at first it was cool, but then like as the months passed, it just kind of got like worse and worse. I could feel, I was off all the psych meds at this point, not doing therapy. And I could feel like the anxiety starting to creep back in. And then some of the depression starting to creep back in. And part of it was because like on the weekends I would get home and have such a good time with my daughter. It was so much stress relief. And then knowing that I had to go out and like live in this cold, stinky truck and eat cold cans of soup and the anxiety having to drive a fucking semi truck through like downtown Philadelphia, just sorry. And isolated. Um, You were isolated in in that box. It was isolated. And I imagine even like a normal person that doesn't struggle with anxiety, Mm -hmm. it's just an anxiety inducing gig. You know what I mean? Like timelines and deadlines and calculating all that. Sure. So anyways, by like November of 2020, it was just getting worse and worse. And I was starting to struggle with it more and more and talk to my parents about it. And they're like, dude, you know, it's not worth it. Just quit. Like you don't have to do this to yourself. You'll be okay. So eventually I did. I said, all right, well, I can't go through this again. I can't let something suck me down a path that's going to cause me to have these mental health issues, et cetera. And I started realizing some more things about my pathology, one of which is that um, everything I've done in my life, you know, in, in school, it was philosophy and I wanted to be a philosophy teacher, then with bodybuilding and training and now with trucking, was something where it required everything all the time out of me meaning like when i majored in philosophy it wasn't good enough for me to just get good grades no i had to understand all of philosophy like better than 
any philosophy professor ever. Mm -hmm. Now, that allowed me to graduate with a 398, summa cum laude, departmental, like, distinction, you name it, top, you know, it allowed me a lot of success. But it was just super driven, beyond driven, which is actually the name of the podcast I, I did for a little while, beyond driven. Everything in my life has been driven, 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 driven. And then the bodybuilding thing was the same thing, you know, for 15 years. It was not just my career, but it was also my hobby, my passion, my interest, everyone that I connected with. It was through that, you know, so I lived, breathed, sleep, whatever. It's all I did. And I realized to be successful in trucking, um, it kind of has to be the same thing. That's just the nature of the industry. And I realized, you know, for the first time in my life, like, I don't want that. I don't want something where it just defines every waking moment of my life. I want a job where it's just a job and you can go home and, you know, do shit that normal people do. Mm -hmm. Like, re relax a little bit, watch some TV, take a bath, whatever. So I got out of that. And, um, but, you know, I was pretty frazzled because I didn't know what I was going to do to support myself. And I was stressing about money. Um, you know, I went from... The years with my training company like we're making gobs of money more money than i know what to do with and you know after my divorce and all that like i'm pretty broke you know i'm i'm living in the worst section of providence an apartment i love my apartment but it's a terrible neighborhood um and luckily like i live on the cheap like i don't have a lot of i'm not a needy person so i get by just fine but um but at the same time like you know I inherited a lot of credit card debt from our divorce and stuff that I got slowly worked through. And so I was, I was stressing a little bit. <clears throat> and I just kind of realized, like, I went home to visit my, this is November of 2020, went home to visit my family in Chicago and just kind of did some reflecting and realized, like, okay, with this narcissism thing, you got to a state of neutrality, at least, where you became self-aware and exploded your ego in certain ways, which, you know, that, that, was part of the reason too like i had to stop training i actually had to be okay with letting my body just become normal again and there was some pain with that <clears throat> at first for sure but i kind of had to like see how i would cope <laughs> like i had to test myself to just have a dad bod and be okay with it you know, and like, know that my daughter still loves, she likes it better. Like she, you know, like if I eat clean, she's like, no, don't diet, you know, because to her it's associated with not having fun. Right. She wants to have, she wants to have a dad. She wants to have fun. Right. So, so I really kind of like did this ego explosion as thoroughly as I could, like physically, mentally, emotionally. So I realized when I went home this past fall that I hit the state of neutrality, if you will, but that wasn't really enough because I hadn't built anything positive, if that makes sense. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. So I just started kind of brainstorming. And again, there's not a lot of literature out there on what to do with a narcissist. As you, James said, it's mostly like just managing your bad reactions to people. Like that's usually the best hope. But, you know, narcissism, I'm assuming that's what I have because I still never got an official diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm a firm believer in Occam's razor, with, Occam's razor. Yeah. The simplest explanation that explains the majority of the features is likely the correct one. So for all practical purposes, I'm just running with it because it seems to explain things. Um, so with that, you know, I had to realize, okay, well, what are the deficits that a narcissist has, you know, in terms of empathy, in terms of gratitude and psychological in the psych world, you know, it's generally the 
the running theory these days seems to be, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you're young, you develop a true self or a stable self, which is, you know, assuming you grow up in a healthy family relationship, you have this underlying feeling of it's okay. You know, even if times are stressful, you'll be okay. Even if there's periods where you're sad, it's okay. You'll get through it. You'll live, right? Um, a narcissist supposedly never develops that true self, all right? And with that, they end up developing a false self, which is this veneer they put up for the world of invincibility, right? Super strength, super intelligence, super success, unflawed, you know? And with that, there's no vulnerability. There's no authenticity. Everything is kind of fake, you know what I mean? <clears throat> to protect them, from the underlying issues that fuel them and the underlying issues that fuel them tend to be guilt shame um fear um inferiority there's one other i forget what it is so it was starting to you know say okay well what are the underlying issues that are fueling this you know what i mean what what explains this drivenness that you have is it a fear thing is it an anxiety thing how do you deal with that how are you mindful about that etc so these last couple months you know i've just been throwing myself into trying to figure out my own therapy if that makes sense mm -hmm. um when you look at borderline personality disorder as james talked about for a long time in the psych world <clears throat> therapists hate it they wouldn't deal with it. They wouldn't touch it because there was no effective therapy for it. Right. And there's a lady, I'm sure you know, named Marsha Lenahan, mm -hmm. who came out with what's known as dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. And everyone's like, you know, to treat borderline. And everyone's like, wow, this is brilliant. You know, how'd you come up with this? And she said, well, I came up with it because I myself have borderline personality disorder and there was no effective solutions for it. So I had to figure out how do I deal with it yeah on that note is. on that note of kind yep. of alluding to something that you were talking about earlier too marcia uh, developed dbt as kind of a derivative from cbt because yep. cbt is all the rage still is it, it's it's my personal you know approach my primary approach but um her point was that if you're dealing with these overwhelming emotions like if you can't yep. like s s you know sit still long enough or, or deal with any kind of the, the lack of drama for borderline or, or whatever any kind of overwhelming emotions you're dealing with if you can't do that then you're not going to be able to do the assignments in cbt you're not going to be able to delve into what cbt is all about because you you have to come to grips with what's going on in you know with your emotions first and so right. it, it was it was a very poignant approach that that she brought out and, and it's yeah i'm glad you mentioned dbt that's a it's a very interesting approach to dealing with those things yeah and i mean i kind of think of it as like buddhism light you know like yeah. it's mm -hmm. it's you know and so during this time like i even read a lot more about buddhism and you know yeah um, just you know what is ego and yeah. even in the brain how the different patterns of the you know the physical apparatus of the brain how the different patterns work in terms of like the executive um you know system the mm -hmm. executive network in the brain and mm -hmm. stuff like that and, and mindfulness so, being one of the four skills of dbt too as well right you have your four uh four core skills mindfulness being one of those right. which is derived from of course eastern philosophy buddhism as you mentioned mm -hmm. right but yeah i feel um by no means do i want to like I feel it's narcissistic to even say this, but I feel like similar to probably how Marsha Lenhan felt where 
there isn't an effective system for dealing with this mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of left on my own to figure it out and who knows maybe i will figure it out that, that, coin a new therapeutic approach my but. question was coming on, the, on those lines because it sounds like that's exactly what that you know because who else who else is going to figure out how to treat narcissism other than, other than someone who experiences you know possibly at least narcissistic personality disorder well, and it's crazy, too, because if you get on the Internet and you start searching like and I invite any listener who's interested to, to test this on their own, search out, you know, treatment for narcissism and you will just get millions of responses on how to treat the victims of narcissistic abuse. Right. But there's nothing, literally nothing on how to treat narcissism itself. Yeah. There's a couple therapists on YouTube who specialize in personality disorders that kind of have some leads. Daniel Fox is a big one. I ordered his book. It's like a workbook that mm -hmm. you can you can work on and you know get some leads on it. But you know, again, I think it's really you have to look at what are the deficits that a narcissist tends to have um, in terms of empathy, in terms of uh, security and, and a stable sense of self and the calmness that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And then do what you can to try to build those things it remains to be seen how much you can do that once you're older you know meaning like once your brain has the structure and development that it has can you turn these into enduring things you know the the psych literature seems to say no you know it seems to say like you're always going to be pre-inclined or inclined to kind of return to you know certain personality features so for me, I'm in the early stages of it, but um, just really trying to work on daily practices with gratitude, you know, reading on vulnerability, reading on empathy. Um, and that was one of the reasons. So that's, you know, the main motivation why I've gotten back on social media as of late. You know, it was twofold and I want to be totally transparent about it. I'm still at a point where I'm pretty broke and I don't know what I want to do for a living. And over the last couple of years, you know, I've still kept a very small number of online clients that I work with only about 10 to 12 and you know to be blunt it's a fairly easy way to make money it's certainly easier than driving a semi-truck and I just kind of came to the realization in the last couple months like you know what you're good at this and people want you to do it and there's a market for it and even if you're not <clears throat> really living the lifestyle yourself <sighs> how much does that matter? You know, like if you have the knowledge, if, you have the right, knowledge, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and just kind of dealing with some of the shame that I had associated with that. Cause all the sure. years as a bodybuilder and a trainer, I personally, you know, I would look at a trainer who was kind of overweight and I'd be really dismissive. Like yeah. who's this fucking poser? Who's this phony ass motherfucker that doesn't live the lifestyle. And I even wrote a blog to that effect at one point called the bald barber. You know, <laughs> you never go to a bald barber cause they have no respect for your hair. You never go to a, fat trainer because they had no respect for the lifestyle uh -huh. but again i was like you know what i don't care like i'm i'm gonna just put my services out there and not aggressively try to grow it but just kind of see where it goes you know if i pick up a couple clients that's great um if i don't oh well it's not is your is your uh, drive still there for it what do you mean by that unpack your question a little more <laughs> no i mean just like you know beyond driven that's always been basically your uh mantra i mean is that still yep. there for this or is this just something that's just gonna 
hold you until the next thing you decide that you want to move on to? Um, yes and no. You know, I, I'm hesitant to answer that question really simply because I think I give a false impression. My drive to help people and to help people be their best at whatever they choose to do, whether it's competing or just everyday fitness, is still there. And that was part of it too. So one of the things that I did when I started doing the self-reflecting a couple months ago was I said, all right, you know, you're neutral now, but you literally have been kind of in a box for five years. You've hardly talked to anybody. You haven't made any connections. I told myself, make a list of all the people in your life who matter to you or have mattered to you. And I just sat down and wrote out a list. And at first it was difficult to come up with like 20 names, um, which included like my parents, my daughter, my ex-wife. I think in part because my brain was kind of foggy, you know, from years of depression and living in shame and isolation and stuff like that. But then I was like, all right, just reach out to a person and just see how they're doing. You know, just be really authentic. No, no motives, you know, don't worry about selling them coaching. Don't worry about their fitness, you know, inquire about it, have some authentic curiosity about it, but, you know, talk to them about them and see how they're doing. Don't call them up. Cause that's another thing too. I think when you deal with a lot of mental health issues, like you don't want to talk to people because everyone's first question is like, how's it going? Well, it's going pretty fucking bad. You know, like everything's falling apart. I'm ashamed all the time. My life sucks. Blah, blah, blah. So you, you know, and alcoholics go through this, like everybody goes through this. It's, it's common. And so um, just kind of breaking the cycle with that. And once I talked to one person, like it reminded me of a couple other people and I started adding to the list every day and I keep that list running now. And, you know, I'm six weeks into it, I think. And it's got over 300 names on it. When at first I had a hard time coming up with 20 names. Nice. And most of those, most of those people are people that were somehow uh, associated through my training business or that I prepped or were clients. But with the vast majority of people that I worked with over the years, I had some really personal relationships with most of them. There, of course, were many that I didn't, you know, where I was just a hired gun and we just never got to that point of sharing, I guess. But, you know, with me and my coaching, I think in part because like I really built my business mostly through in-person training and then later just did the online thing. There was always a greater degree of like uh, personal connection. You know, the, the environment that we built at Coliseum Gym in Baltimore, like you'll see people posting Timor. Then it was crazy. There was a crazy amount of camaraderie. Um, you would go in on Sunday mornings when we hosted the free posing clinic. It got to the point where we would have um, 70 cars in the parking lot worth people waiting to come in and pose, you know, and afterwards they would all stay and train. And you go in on Sunday mornings, we, we called it church because you'd be going to church on Sunday morning. You'd get in there and turn on the rock and roll and there'd be 20, 30 fucking people all prepping for shows who were like technically competing against each other, but they were helping each other. They were spotting each other and they were like getting together afterwards to go out for coffee and, you know, we really built this like family that was just incredible, you know, something that I always needed my whole life. And I had just kind of walked away from it. So in reaching back out to people, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to rebuild that, rekindle that. I have no intentions to go back there and do all that again, but just reconnecting with so many of those people and um, checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. So that was part of the, you know, 
again, I, I said, all right, well, you have these social media platforms. They're not huge, but they're moderate sized. Use them, <laughs> you know, like go on and post something. And when you're done, get the fuck off of it. Don't spend all day <laughs> on it. Like I don't have them even as apps on my phone. I just have them on my PC so that I can't be constantly checking and updating because you know, if I decide to rebuild my coaching business, I don't want it to be a driven thing. And that's where I was dancing around your question. Am I driven to still help people as I used to? Yes. Um, because I derive a great sense of satisfaction from that, a great sense of joy, helping other people achieve their goals. Um, I think these days I'll be a little more well-rounded which might make me a worse coach to be honest i don't i don't really know um you know be a bodybuilding coach like specifically with contest prep it's about telling someone to ignore everything their body's telling them like ignore mm -hmm. your emotions ignore the exhaustion ignore the hunger ignore what you'd rather be doing and just be a machine and the more you can be a machine probably the better you're gonna do at competing you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of the nature of the sport. And um, don't get me wrong. Like if I work with somebody who is embracing that and wants to run with it, fuck yeah, let's do it. I don't care. That's fine. Like I'm not going to ever try to persuade somebody. I'm not against the sport. I'm not against the lifestyle. Like I just don't want to live it personally right now and to each their own. Um, so if I have competitors, I have a guy right now. He's a fucking freak. He's like five, nine, 286 lean Jeez. and and he's never competed and so he's going to make his debut this year and he's one of those guys he doesn't want to compete until he's like ready to make a run in the pro card so we're going to unleash hell and fury with him this year and see what we can do and um you know i'm super excited about that we're already planning you know 10 months in advance what our approach is going to be what our cycles are going to be all that um but at the same time i have you know, I really cut my teeth as a trainer, just working with everyday people, you know, fat loss clients. And um, I got good at taking everyday people and making them look like they could compete if they wanted to. And that's how I slowly started working with competitors. I never made a conscious decision like, I want to work with competitors. That's what I want to do. That wasn't the point. It happened very organically. And to that end, I still love working with everyday people that have no desire to step on a stage. They just want to feel better about themselves, drop some weight, get their eating under control, whatever the case might be. So I'm still driven to help people. Uh, it feels great. You know, I really enjoy it. I probably sink too much effort into it rather than, you know, like any of my clients will tell you, the responses they get are very long and thorough. And, um, you know, we try to really... <clears throat> Because I'm personally driven, I think, by a certain uh, inferiority of making sure I overperform. Mm -hmm. So with, with that, as a coach and as a trainer, I think I've always overdone what I provide rather than underdone it. Right. You'll never hear never hear a client of mine complain that like, yeah, he just you know didn't give a real response. No, you'll get more than you wanted. <laughs> um, but I'm not driven to build it into a business. Um, I'm curious to see if it turns into a business you know hmm. i want it to and again there might come a point where if it gets if i get to a certain client base and i'm making a certain amount of money i might get to a point where i say okay i'm gonna make a, a conscious run at this where i do some more targeted advertising 
maybe try to build my following in a more orchestrated way, um, whether it's with podcasting. What I don't know. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, but I'm nowhere near that. You know, I'm just in the very early stages of, uh, like I said, picking up a few former clients and having fun with it and feeling really good about it. Um, yeah. And the main thing was just trying to reestablish that connection with people. So Interesting. Have you ever considered the notion, as it occurred to me, that you owe a lot of your insight, which if in fact, once again, if you are, as you say, narcissistic and do have that particular personality disorder, do you consider that your insight is due to some of the other more uncomfortable symptoms that you had of depression, of things of yeah, that yeah. nature? Because if not for those uncomfortable feelings, you would have never probably had the inkling yeah. to have the insight in the first place. So that's... 100%. Yeah. 100%. That's very interesting. I think, yeah, from what I've seen and what I've read, the only way a narcissist really gets to any point of... Um, like, so typically if a narcissist seeks out treatment, it's because something else is going wrong. Right. Like you that know, collapse never, that you talked about earlier, right? right. Yeah. It's usually because they have some major depression, mm -hmm. substance abuse issues, their wife is leaving them and says, if you don't seek help, I'm going to leave. It's always for something like that. No one goes in and says, gee, I think I'm a narcissist. So I need to address that because again, being a narcissist, it feels good. You but know, but do they, at that point, do they, do they lean toward the understanding that they have the narcissistic side of things or do they just focus on the depressive, the the you know experiential crisis whatever's going on yeah i don't i don't really know enough to okay. be able to answer that right. um it, it seems the few again there's a community on reddit that i found where there are many supposedly self-aware narcissists that actually know they have the disorder and okay. stuff like that. And that's a real that's the only real resource that i've found so that's the only thing that i can speak from um and and with that you know, from what I've gathered, you kind of have to, number one, have this collapse where shit just falls off the rails. Mm -hmm. If you look at the disorder, what seems to be the case in a lot of situations is as somebody with narcissistic personality disorder gets older, a lot of the time when they're younger, they're really successful. And in fact, being really successful reinforces being narcissistic, right. you know, so it's mm -hmm. a self-perpetuating thing. But, um, you know, having the disorder gives you certain skill sets to cope with reality that can springboard you towards great success in certain ways. However, it also creates maladaptive issues so that you're going to have tendencies towards, um, being abusive towards people or argumentative towards people, mm -hmm. having an attitude of entitlement, stuff like that. And what tends to happen as you age is you have problems. You know, you lose a job, you lose a wife, you have falling outs with friends and stuff like that. And so as the years pass and the decades pass, you start going from this position of being pretty successful to life kind of sucking. Um, and what, and a lot of time that's what's referred to as the grandiosity gap, right? Mm -hmm. The grandiosity gap is the gap between your self image. I'm perfect and everything is fucking awesome and reality. Mm -hmm. Cause now there's this big gulf between how you think of yourself and what's really going on. And that starts to create tension and an ability for some self-awareness possibly. Now at that point, again, it seems by the literature, most narcissists, they just double down on their narcissism and they say it's the world it's mm -hmm. not me 
it's the world. The world is fucked up. Other people are stupid. No one understands me and my brilliance, which again, like I kind of was inclined towards that for a long time, which is why I didn't seek out therapy and, and stuff like that. You know, my thinking was I'm very smart. I'm very successful. Uh, yada 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 why the hell would i need therapy and i was afraid that it would change me and and it did change me but i was afraid it would change me and i didn't want to be changed you know what i mean like i liked i thought i liked who i was Mm -hmm. if that makes sense sure um so yeah i think for a narcissist to get to that point like there needs to be a certain amount of collapse that allows their mask to fall long enough where they see i don't really like who i am you know, shit is uncomfortable. Shit is not good. Like it might be good on some level, but on a deeper level, I'm not happy. I'm anxious. I'm uncomfortable, etc. And it seems, at least for me in my case, but from the little bit I've seen with other individuals, it seems that you just have to have a major life event, a major life collapse, losing your business, going to jail, losing your wife, Something like that, mm-hmm. you know, sure. before you can have, you know, hitting a true rock bottom um, before you have the ability to even start questioning things. Yeah. You know what I mean, because when everything's good, like, why would you question it? Right. It's, it's right. Great. If it's not broke, don't fix it. How's your sleep yep. now? Do you, uh, Pretty good. Yeah. Has it been that way for a while? Because I'm still curious about how you were able to perform and get that much work done with so little sleep, especially with the, I mean, the concepts of lifting full time, training full time, and also using gear. Um, that yep. that's just, I mean, that's no wonder you were narcissistic because that's pretty much superhuman. And so well, I can see why the psychiatrist would lean that way um, toward a bipolar disorder back then, because honestly, that is, I mean, that's that's pretty superhuman. Like I said, I don't know how else to describe well, it except for manic. So, as I mentioned, my dad was a garbage truck driver, and with that, he typically woke up at 3 in the morning Mm. every day, and he normally wouldn't go to bed until, like, 11 at night, so he kind of always ran on, like, four hours sleep, so I just kind of, I kind of just modeled that very young, and just kind of did it, you know? I understand the drive, too, your drive to get so much done, because, and that was part of, you know, being narcissistic as well, is wanting to do everything perfect and wanting to be everything that you could be. Um, that's why you right. study as much as you do about every single thing that you're, that you want to know about, because like you said, right. you wanted to be, you wanted to know more than the philosophy uh, teachers did. Um, yep. So you studied more than they did. And so I understand that drive definitely perpetuated it, but just on the physical level, I just, that, yep. that's, that's, that's unbelievable, man. Well, so I kind of modeled my patterns off. I think my father's from pretty young age. And then the thing is, once I got to college, I saw that I could like utilize it. I could leverage it. I could get more shit done because I required less recovery and less sleep. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, so I kind of enshrined it. And then, um, you know, all the years as a trainer, just it got, you know, more and more pronounced running on less and less. So when I was working with my psychiatrist, you know, she had me on a regular SSRI, because, you know, dealing with the depression was paramount. It was number one thing at that point. Absolutely. And then, and then um, she's like, all right, I want to put you on a second antidepressant that it's going to be mostly geared towards helping with sleep. You know, we started working on sleep hygiene. So I started taking amitriptyline at a low dose. Mm. And, um, you know, I was doing other over-the-counter supplements like Calm and GABA. 
And I was also prescribed a certain amount of gabapentin, which would help a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we we had a cocktail that kind of started forcing me to get better sleep. And I got to the point, you know, where I was getting a a good restful seven to eight hours a night. Um, And, you know, it was great. Like I said, I came off all my meds um, about a year and a half ago. And since then, for the most part, like once I was trucking, it fucked everything up again because you there's all these laws in the trucking industry that regulate how many hours you can work a day, how many hours you can drive a day, and the loads need to be there at specified times and all this. Mm. So there was times when like I wanted to start at one in the morning. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I'd be trying to go to sleep at like three in the afternoon and you're sleeping on this really uncomfortable, you know, foam mattress in a truck. So like I got to the point where I was having a hard time getting like a solid four to five hours while doing that. But since quitting that again back home, um, I try to make myself go to bed by midnight and I get up at six every day. So I, I shoot for a solid six hours. It's hard for me to do that because and it's interesting i have a former client who is actually a a licensed hypnotherapist so we did a free session yesterday over skype and just started doing and we didn't actually do any hypnotherapy but we just started working on like nl i don't know if you're familiar with like nlp therapy neuro-linguistic programming yeah yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. so you know she does a lot of that stuff um you know a lot of my tendencies are I don't know if you want to call it like nervous energy, but um, this wiring towards not being able to be calm and still. Mm. And because of that, I've always, I have like these deep seated um, resent, like I resent having to sleep. Yeah. I resent having to take the time to make food. Like I hate, you know, it's like I, I, you know, if, if it was up to me, even all the years as a bodybuilder, like if it, that was the greatest relief when I stopped competing was like, thank God I don't have to eat six meals a day anymore. Cause I mm-hmm. fucking hated taking, taking the time to do it. I I've never been a mindful eater. Like I just wolf it down. I don't care about the taste. It's just, as long as my belly's full, I'm good to go. So like, yeah, if it was up to me, same thing. If I could literally never eat again, that'd be optimal. If I could never, <laughs> if I could never you know, shower again, that would be optimal because I hate taking the time to do the things, the self-care things that I have to do. So with that, like I literally every night before I go to bed now, one of the things that I'm doing is I write an email to myself kind of with my agenda for the next day. And I just itemize it like one of you know, number one, wake up six o'clock. Number two, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth. Number three, take your supplements. Number four, meditate 30 minutes. Number five, read this book for 30 minutes. Da da da. And just to kind of hold myself accountable and, you know, uh, make sure I'm doing the things that I need to be doing to not fall back towards natural inclinations that are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and hopefully eventually I'll get to the point where I don't even need to like do that list, but it's not like it's a big deal. It's not like it's a chore. It's just, you know, an easy way to keep tabs on my behavior. So, yeah. um, but yeah, like my natural tendency, it's still, uh, like I try to go to bed by midnight, but then I usually like watch a show while I'm in bed. And I still tend to, you know, a lot of time only get like five, five and a half hours. And it's, it's hard for me to embrace it. Cause again, I'm off all my meds and, um, you know, I just don't enjoy <laughs> having to sleep <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I get but, it. um, yeah, but yeah, it's a lot better than it ever was for sure. Good. You know, good. 
Very, very interesting path, David. Um, we could, I mean, we could do another show for sure. So I'd, I'd love to reconnect on some of the things like you mentioned med- meditation several times. Um, we yep. could unpack DBT more, uh, a lot of different things. I'd like to know how things, you know, uh, progress with your business. But before we let you go, I definitely want to steer everybody toward your social media you know, I've been tracking your Facebook page for a bit now. And one of the things that I really, really admire about it is because it's not this happy go lucky, completely just motivating at least classically motivated, like go, go out there and get them. As a matter of fact, I saw a post the other day that was about how, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, gonna, gonna, you know, paraphrase pretty messily probably, but the gist of it was that, people say that you could do anything in life and that's basically bullshit. I mean, you have a certain set of, you have a certain set of, you know, talents that you're given, use those, you know, build those up. And, and, but if you think that you can just go out there and do whatever you want, just because, you know, go get them. It's just not right. right. It's just not accurate. And a lot of people fall on their face. And I think the, the words that you said was they spend their whole life trying to achieve this goal basically on, on false premises, right? It's on a a false precept that you can be anything that you want. And that's just not true, you know, and and people need to come to grips with what they can be and what they are good at. And, and, and then polish those skills, you know, be the best that you can be. Don't be the best that that guy can be, you know? And so that, that kind of, that kind of post, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking for out there in social media. Cause I don't think we have enough of it, you know, you know, not to rag on anybody else, but you know, I just, for me, that's what I like to see. My favorite one that I put out was the one I did the other day where I put a picture of me and my ex-wife, Nikki, in contest shape. And I just said, am I doing this wrong? This whole social media game. Uh-huh. Am I supposed to just post short quips with cheery success stories and, you know, things are perfect and I'm feeling great. And, you know, I'm sure my business would grow faster because I think a lot of people might see some of the posts I put up. Like I put one up last week and I said that I was sad because I had to drop my daughter off and go to work and I end up, you know, being sad and reflective. And of course everyone gets on there like, it's okay, bro. You'll be fine. I'm like, guys, it's okay. don't worry. Like I'm all right. <laughs> You're right. I'm not going to fucking kill myself. Like I'm not depressed, I'm not really dealing with any mental health issues right now other than, um, monitoring myself and learning to be a calmer person. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, other than that, like I, you know, <laughs> excuse me, I would say that I love my life and love my life more than probably I ever have, even though I'm poor and, <laughs> um, out of shape <laughs> and, you know, all these things just cause I finally got some perspective and, um, can appreciate, you know, what I have and, and start to, feel good about it and feel good connecting with people like I never had before and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, people see you post something like you're sad and they have to help you. They have mm-hmm. to fix you. They have to, you know, instead, instead of just saying, you know, okay, I, I hear your sadness. It's, that's, yeah. that's understandable, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I put that post up. Am I doing this wrong? And uh-huh. it was kind of uh, intentionally confrontational. Um, I think a little bit just because, you know, getting back on social media, like I, I literally hadn't signed on for five years and just getting back on, like, you know, how it goes. It's everyone's perfect life. Yeah. You know, it's everyone's success track. Yeah. Or, or, or if it's so sorry, go ahead. oftentimes too, what I see is like people have been conditioned to say, Oh bro, you okay? Because a lot of folks are out there putting, 
the bait out there for people to hook on to. It's like, I'm going to give you just a little bit of my drama, a little passing statement that says I'm sad, that says something like that. And so they're looking for that attention. They're not trying to just be like, post something objective about something like right. you were. They're actually trying yeah. to bait for some attention. So uh, a well, lot of people yeah, are probably... That's, that's fine too. Yeah. It's another it's another form of like venting, I guess, and yeah. all that. Like it, it is what that. it is, sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, it's been kind of a, a experiment with myself, how vulnerable I can be and how authentic I can be. Um, Cause that's challenging. I think, I think it's challenging for anybody, but once you put into an, a public arena mm. and especially in a culture like bodybuilding, which, you know, kind of breeds narcissism. Um, it breeds this mentality of being a badass motherfucker that's impervious to natural conditions, if you will. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm interested to see, like, I might get, a lot of rejection because of it, but it's going to be what it's going to be. And I don't care. Um, those types of people, I probably wouldn't have worked well with anyways. And sure. I would rather, I'd rather find a handful of people that, you know, can connect with it and it speaks to them and maybe they have some issues of their own or maybe, you know, people, I, I know a lot of people that competed for a while and it kind of fucked them up, you know, like they, they didn't come out of it a better person, mm. if you will. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I could talk for hours on end about that and I won't, but, um, yeah, in terms of my social media right now, I'm only on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, again, as things grow, I'm kicking around the idea of getting on different outlets. My daughter is addicted to TikTok, So who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll find a way to do that. So is mine. My yeah, daughter's addicted as well. It's, <laughs> I just want to see what kind of videos David Johnston comes up with for TikTok. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of TikTok oh, videos that I aren't know. like what our little girls watch, but my <laughs> gosh. That right. Don't worry, man. I've been working on my twerking. So oh, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, got, I, I, got the, I got the WAP dance down. Oh, wow. Jeez. Oh, Can't wait to see it. <laughs> Can't wait to I, see I, it. I don't. That's a, that's a complete lie. But yeah, on Facebook or Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, if you just look up Team Warrior, within i have personal pages on both but I, at this point i just post on the business pages because there's no point in separating the two team wire within on both facebook and instagram i think on instagram is tww training and then our website is www.teamwarriorwithin.com um if you're interested in coaching you just reach out to me directly my email is david johnston training at gmail.com um Happy to have a conversation with you and confident that I can help you achieve your goals. So, perfect, perfect. Awesome. All that information will also be in the show notes when we drop this episode, man. So like I said, we'd love to check back in with you down the road if you're willing and yeah. have the time uh, to see how things are going and unpack some more of these topics that you know we could just go on and on about. Um, sure. So good stuff, man. Appreciate you once again. Thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks for having me. And I'll tell you what, if we do do it again next time, you know, uh, I love talking bodybuilding too. You know, like yeah. I really, I, I do. I still follow the sport. I'll always follow the sport, I think. Um, but I like talking about, I think, some of the stuff that other people don't talk about in terms of, um, you know, just my wacky philosophy background. I think that's what helped on Geared Up a little bit. Nice. So just e even stuff in terms of like how shows are judged. Um, you know, all these debates, like you can't judge from pictures and stuff like that. Like that's an epistemological question. Like how do, how do we set up judging standards that have some degree of objectivity? And like, I love topics like that because 
you don't hear a lot of meatheads talk about it. Sure. And if you're gonna if you're gonna invest in this, like it's important stuff to think that stuff through, you know. So anytime you guys want to chat, hey, you pick the topic and we'll go there. Sounds very cerebral to me, man. We'll do it again sometime for sure. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much. All right, thank, thank you. you. And we are out. Thanks again to David Johnston and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth feels like a million bucks to us, so don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume all the podcasts that you love to keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us that five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials, so be sure to give us all of your love on the socials and... Be sure to visit the new and improved launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Pick up all of your CEP network merch at bijack.com slash CEP and get online and get your CEP gear today. That's all I've got, folks, and this cat is driving me nuts. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and warm out there. See ya. Come on, get down, babe.